Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Um, so, you know, a lot of things that we buy come with defaults. Uh, recently, we got new phones in, in our family, and our phones, our iPhones came, and they had these, like, kind of funky, swirly wallpaper backgrounds on, and it's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm not really excited about that. So I took a picture. That was the default, okay, on, on the phone. So uh, this week I was out, I was praying through the parking lot and stuff, and just there was a morning where it was just sunny and spectacular. So I, I captured a picture of this tree in, in our church parking lot. Isn't that spectacular? Like, God is just so amazing, just painting all these trees uh, over the last couple of weeks here. So anyway, that's much improved uh, for my wallpaper. That's what I have now on, on my phone. You know, some of you, actually all of us, have like defaults as, as people. Some of you, don't raise your hand, are, are mourning or not mourning people. And you're trapped in this world where we have to get up earlier than you feel like, you know, I mean, you shouldn't have to get up before the sun comes up for, for sure. And yet here you are. And so you have learned over time, like I, I dare not, you know, sleep too late or I miss work and I get to work and I have to actually be able to function. So your default may be, I'm not a morning person, but you gotta compensate for that. Like you gotta do better than that. So there's, you know, God invented coffee. So you have that to, to help you out. Some of you, by default, um, you know, aren't very disciplined with money. And so you have had to learn, like, I've got to do better than just spending money as long as it's in my checking account. I can't just spend it down to zero or beyond. Maybe you've gotten some of those overdraft fees, you know. There's two defaults that every human being has. And I think I, I feel safe in saying that because scripture talks about them over and over and over again. So I think it's safe to say every one of us deals with these. The, the first is that we have a default to retaliate when someone wrongs us. The, the retaliation may, may look different. Uh, it may be passive aggressive or it may be, be violent, but we see that all the way from school playgrounds all the way up to executive suites I mean, when we are wronged, our first default response is to defend ourselves and to retaliate on, on the other person. The other default is to compare ourselves with, with others. We envy people who have more than we have, and we boast when we have more than other people. And so, you know, our, our marketing, like, just exacerbates this, just preys on envy. I mean, it... it Marketing wants us to want what somebody else has or what we don't have. Or marketing wants us to want something that other people will want. Social media uh, preys on this. I mean, social media is such a forum to, to boast or to envy as we're looking at what, what other people have. 
these defaults that we have to, to retaliate and to compare ourselves, these get in the way of our love. Jesus told us, as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And if we look at the way Jesus loved, Jesus did not retaliate. I mean, if anybody was wronged in the history of humanity, Jesus was. And yet he did not retaliate. He, he turned the other cheek. So he, he's teaching us, he's modeling for us how to love differently. Jesus did not compare himself with others. He didn't come here trying to one-up people. He just came here to fulfill the purpose that God gave him to fulfill. So if you and I have these defaults that get in the way of love, the question is, how do we love more like Jesus did? That's what we're gonna talk about here this morning. How do we get beyond those defaults? If you would take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. That's where we are for this series uh, called Perfect Love. Last week, we framed this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you are familiar with that. Sometimes we call it the love chapter. We framed this chapter not as a celebration of what love is, but actually a correction because we tend to do love so poorly. The church in Corinth was a mess. I mean, they were a mess in every single way. And this entire very long letter actually is, an, is, is a correction. And so 1 Corinthians 13 lands kind of in the middle of that, and it is a correction in how we love. And so as the church in Corinth was a mess, we human beings unfortunately had the same defaults that they did. And so Paul offers us an alternative to get past those. We're gonna look today at the first four qualities of love that Paul lists in this description of love. And, and we're gonna approach these as two couplets, okay? Two sets of two. The first two have to do with responding when we're wronged. The second to have to do with comparing ourselves with others. And as we unpack these, we're gonna, we're gonna move slowly through this description of love over the next several weeks. As we unpack these today, I wanna encourage you to be evaluating as we go which one or ones of these are the greatest challenge for you. And I'm gonna offer you some specific help before the message ends, whatever your challenge happens to be, whatever your default happens to be. The first couplet tells us that love does not retaliate. All right, so we're in verse four of chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. I'll go ahead and read the other couplet here because we're gonna cover that in a few moments. Love does not envy or boast. So the first couplet, love is patient and kind. The, the word patient here is actually better translated long-suffering. Some of you may be looking at a translation that uses the word long-suffering. That's actually a, a, a literal transliteration of the, the Greek word here. And so when we talk about patience, we're, we're really talking about long-suffering. We're not talking about patience like when you go to the grocery store and there's people in all the lines, even the self-checkout lines, and you've got to wait. I mean, we're not talking about that kind of patience. That, that's good. But we're, we're talking about 
patience where something personal has happened to you, where there's been a, a, an insult to you personally, or someone has slandered you. And then you're thinking about, how am I gonna respond to this? And so the call is to suffer long. When, when, when someone causes you to suffer, how long are you able to contain your suffering before it comes out? That's kind of the idea. The, the picture here, another way to say this is that love has a long fuse. So if you think about a bomb or you think about a, a piece of dynamite, um, having a short fuse is a problem. Like if something's about to blow and it's got a short fuse, you don't have very much time to intervene and try to put that fuse out. But if you got a long fuse, you got a long time to work on that and intervene and stop it from blowing up. And so Paul is calling us here to be long-suffering, to have a long fuse when we are wronged. The Corinthians are, are not doing well with this. We'll put this on the screen, but back in chapter six, Paul says, brother goes to law or goes to court against brother and that before unbelievers. So he says, you, you, you have two believing people from your church who are going in front of an unbeliever to have your, your case tried. He says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why, why take yourselves to court and fight over things in front of people who are not followers of Christ? What a terrible picture for, for the unbelieving world of, of people fighting each other within the church. Why not rather suffer wrong? Let yourself be wronged. Why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers? The Corinthians are not doing well at this. That's why they're getting corrected. In contrast to how they're doing. God models long suffering and a long fuse for us. We heard from Romans, uh, actually we heard from Ephesians this morning, but Romans two says, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? There's that same word, long suffering, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You, God, God is so patient, long-suffering for us, and the intention is that he's giving us space. <laughs> he's got a long fuse, and he's giving us space to repent and to come to him and say, God, I'm sorry for the, the boneheaded things that I keep doing over and over again to disobey you. He's giving us space for that, and he's modeling and calling us to that as well. This, this verse is actually a natural segue then to the other part of our couplet, kindness. Love is kind. So love is long-suffering and patient. Love is kind. I wanna go on a rant for just a moment, and I wanna make a distinction between the word nice and kind, okay? About every couple of weeks, this comes up in our house. Like someone will say, oh, that was nice. I'll say, no, 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 that was not nice. That was kind, okay? So stop using the word nice. Nice, nice is like this mamby-pamby word. It's kind of like nice is agreeable, just kind of smiles and, you know, everything's okay. That's not, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying be nice. He's saying be 
kind. Kindness is actively serving another person, especially, even and especially when they don't deserve it. It's, it's being kind, it's serving someone else. Another way to say this is, love returns good for evil. Um, this is what Jesus called us to in Luke chapter six. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For, and, and here's the thing, here's how kindness comes in. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus says, I want you to be sons of your father. I want you to be sons of the most high. The idea of sonship oftentimes in scripture is the idea of a son that's supposed to look like his father. So Jesus says, look like your heavenly father who is kind even to those who are undeserving. So we, we could capture patience and kindness in this way. We could say that patience is kind of the, the passive side of love. That when we are wronged, we, uh, we do not retaliate. We, we are passive in a sense. Kindness is the active side of love towards those who have wronged us. Kindness means returning good for evil. The Good Samaritan is, is a fantastic example of this. In, in Jesus' story, which you have, to, you have to wonder if Jesus had a real-life example of this in mind when he's telling the story. But the Good Samaritan, of all the, the people who walked along, this, this poor man who was dying by the side of the road had been attacked, of all the people who helped him, he was the, the enemy. He, he was the person who is um, racially opposed. You know, he was, he was a cross-cultural person who's who is sacrificing of his own resources, who has a heart of compassion, is going out of his way, inconveniencing himself, giving of his own resources to help someone who by cultural standards was an enemy. And Jesus says, this is the model for us. This kind of kindness goes against our default. I mean, we have a hard enough time being kind to people who are kind to us oftentimes, but to be kind to someone who is unkind to us, who, who attacks us perhaps, that goes against our, our default. So, so moment for evaluation here. How long is your fuse? And how are you at returning good for evil? You and I, we said this last week, you and I cannot love this way by ourselves. You, you and I cannot muster this kind of love by our own willpower. It's only by God power in us that we can love this way. See, God empowers us to love beyond our defaults. 
It is God who empowers us beyond what our natural ability is and our defaults. We're gonna find this the whole way through this description of love that you and I struggle with so many of these aspects of, of real love. And rather than that discouraging us and causing us to give up and say, well, why bother? It should drive us to God to say, God, we need your empowerment. We need your spirit working in us. We're gonna talk specifically in a few moments about what that looks like. I'll give you some specific ideas on that. But before we do that, let's look at our second couplet, our second default, and that is to compare ourselves to others. So back to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the second half there, or actually the second part. Love does not envy or boast. Envying and boasting are two sides of the same coin. Envying is looking up from feeling less than. Boasting is looking down because we feel like we're better than somebody else. Envy is when we think we deserve what someone else has, or at least that they don't deserve it. Um, I, it, it is closely linked to the idea of coveting, of wanting something that somebody else has. I, I heard someone describe coveting in this way. Coveting is not just wanting a car like someone else has, it's wanting that car that they have so that they can't have it anymore. <laughs> now you have it instead of them or car, or spouse, or job, or whatever it, it happens to be. The Corinthians, again, are doing terrible at this. I mean, they are envying, of all things, the spiritual gifts of other people. I mean, this just goes to show that anything can be twisted for, for the enemy's purposes. So God gives spiritual gifts to each of us when we come into a faith relationship with Christ when we recognize that we can't do enough good in life, that, that we need the forgiveness and the washing of grace when we come into relationship with Christ. He gives us gifts. He's so generous. So he gives each one of us unique gifts to serve then other people, to serve the body of Christ and to serve the world around us. And the Corinthians were envying each other's gifts. They wanted, everybody wanted the flashy gifts. Everybody wanted the, you know, the gifts of like, you know, getting up and speaking in front of people, which I can just tell you, it's not always a picnic. Okay, so be careful what you, you ask for. But People wanted the gifts that brought them notoriety and, and recognition, and everybody was wanting those gifts instead of being content with, with their own. That was going on in the Corinthian church. If you're here with us this summer, as we were studying the life of David, we saw envy piled on top of envy in the life of Saul. I mean, Saul was eaten up with envy of David. Paul says, he tells us, instead of begrudging someone else from having something good, agape love, the love that he's describing here, seeks the well-being of others at our own expense. See, we, we often wanna take what others have, but, but Paul says, give to others at our own expense. 
Um, the, the word here, we didn't talk about this last week, but the word that Paul is using for love is the word agape in, in Greek. And many of you have heard this before. There are several Greek words for love. Eros is where we get our word erotic, so it has to do with romantic love, sexual love. Um, there's phileo love, which is a, 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 just an affectionate, brotherly kind of love. Phileo, of course, leading to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Don't use that as the model for what brotherly love looks like, but you know, I mean, it's there. So phileo, but agape love. See, both of those kinds of loves have an aspect of them that are self-serving. Now, they, they don't have to be selfish loves in and of themselves. They don't have to be, but they lend themselves to self-centered love. Agape love is never self-centered. It, it, that is completely off the table when we're talking about agape love. Agape is about the good of others. And so in contrast to Saul in the life of David, who was envious of David, and it's impossible to love somebody when you're envying them at the same time. In contrast to that, we can look at Jonathan, who demonstrated an agape kind of love for the good of David. Jonathan wanted David's good. He was for him. He was not envious of the fact that God had called David to be the next king. He said, I wanna support you any way I can. I'm there for you. So Jonathan was, was a good example of agape. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example of agape, others-centered love. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the inverse of envy. Instead of wanting what somebody else has for your own benefit, it's giving up what you already have for the benefit of others. Paul says, love does not envy. Love also does not boast. So Bob Deffenball, who's a pastor and a commentator, he says, envy is my sinful response to the prosperity of others. Boasting is my sinful response to my own prosperity. I mean, boasting is to, to be conceited, to brag, um, the Greek word suggests a windbag, okay? I, I, you've probably had the uncomfortable experience of being with somebody who's, who's bragging, you know? May, it may have been years ago for you because adults learn how to kind of mask that and we, we kind of hide it, you know, and, and we're, we're much more subtle. But maybe you've been with somebody who's not just talking about themselves, which can be uncomfortable in itself, but, but they're talking about how great something is that they accomplished or have or whatever. That's just, it's, it's uncomfortable to be around someone who's, who's boasting. And the antidote, and the, the antidote for boasting is humility. It, it's to, to recognize that everything I have is a gift from the Lord and I have no business boasting about it or taking credit for it. Paul says this earlier in this same letter to, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you take credit for it yourself? So rather than boasting 
or taking credit for your income or your education. Give thanks for the fact that God allowed you to have those things. I mean, if you, whatever your level of education, I mean, if you, if you have an advanced degree or, or whatever, no doubt you worked hard to get that. But there is also a measure of that that is a gift to you. There's a measure of that that's IQ to you. So if you, if you have a low IQ and you're, you know, uh, if, if you have a low IQ, then um, you received that from the Lord. If you have a high IQ, then you receive that and you just, you give thanks and you do the best you can with whatever God has given you and you don't take credit for it. Just like we don't take credit for our own salvation. Ephesians 2, if we had read a little further earlier in in our worship time when Daryl was leading us, Ephesians 2 tells us that it's by grace that we're saved by faith and that's so that we cannot boast. It's not something that we have accomplished for ourselves. We recognize God's hand in blessing us with the capacity for whatever it is that we have. True humility is grounded in God's perspective of us and his provision for us. So true humility is grounded in God's perspective of us, not what anybody else is thinking. So we don't have to impress anybody. We don't have to make ourselves look better in anybody else's sight. We're content and humble under God's view of us and his provision for us. So we don't need to envy what somebody else has. We, we just thank God for what he's given us and make the best of us. If you struggle with envy or boasting, then probably you need to spend more time understanding your identity in Christ. And if that's the case for you, I have good news because next year, we're gonna spend a year studying through the book of Romans, which is gonna help us understand our identity in Christ. I am both excited and terrified to study through the book of Romans. It's very intimidating, but I feel like that's what the Lord is is calling us to do. So we're gonna spend some time really soaking in that book and learning who we are in Christ, which is gonna help us really with all of these things we're talking about here this morning. So moment of evaluation. Do you envy others? Do you look down in boasting? If we bring back our earlier questions, how long is your fuse? How are you at returning good for evil? I wanna just give us a moment. I wanna give you a moment just to, to kind of personally think about those. And, um, and, and while you're thinking about that, grab that blank card because I'm gonna tell you what to do with that. I'll give you something to do with that in just, just a moment. But just an honest self-reflection before the Lord. Remember we said last week that grace creates space to face what's out of place. So this is a moment of grace in front of the Lord. God, where, where is my greatest struggle here? So knowing that, whatever, whatever, you're, whatever you tend to struggle with the most, knowing that that's a default 
that is hardwired into you, how do we change that? Well, remember again, you don't change it by willpower, change it by God power. God empowers us to love better than our defaults. So let me, let me give you two ways to tap into God's power. And this, this is true whether we're talking about love or any other area, anger, whatever you might be dealing with in, in your life, this, this will apply for you. Two things. First, renew your mind with scripture so that you think differently than you naturally think. And then secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to be changing you and transforming you. Use that truth, use God's definitions to transform and, and change you from the inside out. This is not flashy. If you've been around here, I, I mean, you hear me say this over and over and over again, but we need to be reminded over and over and over again because this is a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. So. What I want to do, so, and actually, this is, this is the process. What I'm describing to you is the process to reprogram our defaults. I was talking with Steve about this, uh, this, this week and the idea of reprogramming, and Steve is, Steve's a little more geeky than, than I am. So he, he said, I can say that with love, right, and respect. Um, so Steve was talking about the fact that, I mean, there's some defaults, like the default to change the wallpaper on my phone, that's pretty easy. I mean, you just go into a setting. But there are some defaults that you have to go in and actually like recode, like you have to rewrite the code and that's reprogramming and that's what we're talking about. Our defaults to be selfish, to, to, um, to envy, to, to boast, to be impatient, to be unkind, those are hardwired into us. They, they need a deep level of reprogramming. It takes time. And so let me give you, I'm gonna give you one scripture for each one of these challenges that we've talked about, each one of these four challenges we've talked about here this morning. That card is for you to write down the, the, um, the address of the scripture. You can go back and look it up later. And there are many other scriptures on each one of these topics but, um, but these are just some to get you started. These are also, by the way, posted on our blog. And so if you miss them as they're coming up here, they're, they're there for you to see as well. The first is patient. If you struggle with patience, if you struggle with long suffering, Ephesians 4, one to three, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, there's that word, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, take that verse, and if you struggle with that, take that and, and have it on your dashboard in your car. Have it when you get up in the morning on the mirror in the bathroom. And what that's gonna begin to do is to rewire your brain from thinking, you know what, this is just the way I am, to God calls me to something higher. And he who rose from the dead is able to empower you to something better than your default. So don't settle for what your default is be asking God to work in you and do something that you can't do for yourself. If kindness is where you struggle, returning good for evil, kindness towards the undeserving. We mentioned this verse earlier, Luke 6, 35. Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great 
and you'll be sons of the Most High. You'll look more like God who, because he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. All right, if envy is your challenge, love does not envy. Philippians 4, Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See, envy counters, uh, I mean, contentment is the antidote for, for envy. Um, I, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It really doesn't matter what my provision level is. I can do all things. Here's his secret through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. If I have Christ, I'll be satisfied. So love does not envy, love does not boast. If you're inclined to boast, we mentioned this verse. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Come to God with gratitude. God, thank you for what you have given me. I hope that the Corinthian church paid attention to Paul's correction in 1 Corinthians 13. We get some sense that they listened to some of his correction when we get to 2 Corinthians. But whatever their situation, however well they did or didn't do with this, you and I have the opportunity to learn from Paul's correction. So for us, I, I wanna encourage you to do two things. I wanna encourage you to grab hold of a scripture that instructs and corrects and teaches you in whatever area by default you struggle and to let that begin to renew and reprogram your mind and then ask the Holy Spirit to be working in you to take that renewal of your mind and, and work it out in the things that you do, the things that you say, the way that you live your life. When we love like Christ loves, we shine brighter in this world and we never shine as brightly as when we are loving in a way that goes against our default because that shows that God is the one who's at work in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredibly perfect model of love for us. Thank you for your call on our lives to be your sons and daughters, to look like you in this world, and this world desperately needs a, a real love, not a niceness, not some, not, not a mamby-pamby, not shaking things up kind of love, but it needs a love that's radically different and that radically loves in the face of wrongs done, just as Jesus did, just as the early church did. Lord, would you transform us? Would you reprogram us? Uh, Lord, you know our defaults. We confess our defaults to you, that our defaults are selfish and self-centered. Lord, we wanna be different. We wanna be more like you. Thank you for making it possible. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.